Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everybody. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers Radio, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. One more time, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. All right, so today is January 18th. 2015, just in case some of you all didn't know what the day was, but um, good morning, wherever you are, good afternoon, if you're on the East Coast, but uh, (laughs) oh, wow, so yeah, this week went by actually pretty fast to me, it was like, turned around and the Sunday again, and it wasn't that bad of a week, actually, weather-wise, I mean, you know, not everybody was sliding across the highway this past week, so that's always a good thing. So, good hey, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate each and every last one of you. Um, this is the third part of a four-part series, and today we're going to talk about black women and black history and how they've been co-opted and written out of history. And it kind of ties in with the show last week in which we, you know, featured Ella Barker and Fannie Lou Hamer. We talked about Septima Clark. We talked about we talked about Diane Nash and just a number of other women. You know, uh, we didn't even get a chance to get to Elaine Brown, um, um, Elaine Brown, Angela Davis, um, and a number of other women. You know, Florence Kennedy. You know, <laughs> it's just just a number of women in history that have just been written out and. It's a shame because, you know, these women made very, very absolutely wonderful contributions to these movements, and they started these movements. And that's why, you know, we want to talk about these things, but, you know, we have to do the announcements before we start going into the topic. So, moving social justice part two. That definitely will be taking place this year, October, at Rice University in Houston, Texas. Um, we're going to be hammering out some of the details, more of the details this week. And so, you know, as soon as we get the details hammered out, I'll share them with you. But, you know, we've been telling you since last October. So put those coins away so that you can come down and see us, spend some time with us, you know, um, enjoy yourselves because it was really a good time. You will walk away informed and educated, enlightened and you know, just, I don't know, it was just the whole the whole weekend, just that entire experience was just empowering to me. Um, met a lot of people I didn't know, you know, people that I, you know, uh, may have spoken with on Facebook. Some people, not, not at all. There are some people that found out about the conference just listening to the show. There are some people that found out about the conference just from the webcast. As a matter of fact, we will be on the Free Thought Blogs webcast next Saturday. So you'll see that information coming out soon, but it'll be some of the principals, some of the founders of People of Color Beyond Faith. I know Donald Wright will be with us. Raina Rhodes will be with us. Jen Taylor will be with us. And Kimberly Bill, that's me. I'll be there as well. Dr. Hutchinson has another engagement over at USC, so she won't be able to join us. She's a visiting scholar at USC. So, you know, you all get a chance to reach out, congratulate her, 
If you have any questions, feel free to send us an email, blackskeptics at gmail.com. Again, that's blackskeptics at gmail.com. That's also our PayPal. So if you want to make a contribution to the conference, the People's Code Beyond Faith Conference, you can do that. Just note it in the memo line, what it's for. If you want to make a contribution to the First in a Family Scholarship, that's fine, too. You can note that in the memo. Um, if you just want to give a general donation to Black Skeptics Group, hey, you can put that in the memo as well. If you want to give us a donation to um, the two different projects that Dr. Hutchison is running, one is for young women. It's about empowering them and encouraging them and, 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 and about you know, uh, these young women coming into their womanhood, if you will. And then there's a, a, another group that she has is young men, you know, that are growing into their manhood. So, you know, she's over both of those groups. And, you know, please, if you want to send a donation about that, put that in a memo as well. You know, it's a 501c3 organization. So your contributions are definitely tax deductible. Dr. Hutchinson and the Black Skeptics Group, we thank you for, you know, any contribution that you may have. And we're still working our social justice projects. Um, so last year, I know, you know, um, between all of the groups, you know, we were able to go out, make lunches and feed the homeless. We were able to go out and, and basically, uh, you know, work with the homeless family for Thanksgiving and Christmas to make sure that they were able to, you know, enjoy themselves and that they had something. And I know this year, um, you know, we're working with, you know, the same family, as a matter of fact, and we want to see if we can get the woman's car fixed and then also make sure we have everything in place so that those kids can get some school clothes and school supplies and start the new year out right. So, you know, we've adopted that family. There's another family that we're working with, and, we're putting everything in place for that, putting the puzzles in place. So, you know, we are still working this, these projects. We'll be going out again for National HIV Testing Day, but we're working other projects in the meantime. So, you know, just because you don't see us putting it on our Facebook or promoting it, it doesn't mean that it's not happening or that we're not doing it. It's just that, you know, we are doing this because we know this is what we're supposed to do. You know, we're working with the community. It is not our job to exploit people. That is not what we're trying to do. But we do ask for donations so that we can continue to help these people. And we appreciate you. We appreciate each and every last one of you, each and every last donation. These families appreciate it. I mean, you know, in many cases, we're coming out of our own pockets. You know, um, as a matter of fact, um, you know, there was someone um, – that was in dire straits, you know, um, yesterday. And so, you know, I saw them talking about it on, you know, one of the social medias. So I turned around and made a donation from Black Skeptic Chicago and, you know, told the young woman that, you know, next week I'll send more if they're still in that position. So, because I know a lot of people started reaching out to this individual but, you know, just to make sure, because, you know, the last thing we want is, you know, for people, you know, that they give. They give of themselves. And what, what, I'm talk, what I'm talking about is, you know, you have certain people on social media that I know I can go to their page every day and, and be enlightened. 
and, and be empowered and educated. And, you know, when I see that there's a need, you know, I, I reach out. Just like there are many of us that are, you know, contributing to the protesters, you know, many of us that are contributing to the, you know, the jail fund, which is used to bail people out to give them legal help. There are some lawyers down there that are doing work pro bono. Um, and, and, and then also they need things like food. John Legend and his wife, they sent out food trucks to the protesters in New York. So there are a lot of things that are still happening. And I'm going to start posting more stuff again about Black Lives Matter. And, you know, because I don't want people to forget it. It's still happening. And they still need words of encouragement. And so they have the hashtag, Dear Ferguson. Again, that hashtag is Dear Ferguson. Send them a nice word. Send them an encouraging word. You know, we appreciate stuff like that. You know, so when you get a chance, send out some, you know, some encouraging words, um, make some donations, um, and, you know, you can even go out and volunteer. There are a lot of things that you can do because they still need things like milk. You know, you can send powdered milk, send milk of magnesia, you know, because some of these cases, these people are still being tear gassed. You know, the only reason why it stopped in Ferguson is because they took them to court. And the judge basically placed an injunction on the police department there. But that's just there. you got to remember, these protests are happening all across the country, and they're also happening in other parts of the world. You know, I was absolutely amazed looking at the number of people from different countries who were supporting us. You had people from Korea. You had people from Japan. The, the Netherlands, are always they always have our back. You know, and they have their own protests happening over there. We had people from England. We encouraged, you know, an entire movement over in Brazil. The black youth in Brazil started their own movement being encouraged by the activities and the protests, you know, in Ferguson and across this country. And this is why, you know, when I, when I talk to you about history, and especially when I talk to the people of color in the United States, and I tell you that other people look up to us, they, they wait to see what we're going to do. And when they see us standing up and saying we're not going to take this anymore, it encourages them. So I just want to let you guys know, you know, it matters. You matter. You matter. And you're definitely not alone out here. You know, there's a lot of love going around because, I mean, I don't know if you can feel it, but I'm sending some love your way. You know, we appreciate you. Hey, Raina. Hey. hey. I was trying to Skype into the show, but for some reason the Skype icon doesn't show up anymore. I don't know what's up with that. Now, Black, you know, Blog Talk Radio has been having some issues because you saw what happened last week. <laughs> so yeah. our little delay mm-hmm. last week, and um, a few of their servers went down because I called in and spoke to the engineering staff. And so a few mm-hmm. of their servers went down, and all of the stats are crazy because my numbers aren't where they should be, but they acknowledged, and it's even on the home page that they're still working on those issues and recording the activity. So they're supposed to update it later. But why the Skype thing disappeared? Yeah, but the Skype thing know. hasn't been up for a while. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Give them a call. Yeah, I'll give them a call and let them know. And, um, you know, you just never know. That may give us um, some extra perks here. So, yeah, you know, so, yeah, Randy, you know, 
like we said, we're going to start putting more information up about Black Lives Mattering. Because, I mean, you know, I was all over on top of that, you know, just for the last week or so. I put a few things up, but I was not as diligent as I, you know, had been in the past. But we're going to do that again. And we're also going to post up more information about these church bombings and these church fires and how some of these black organizations are being attacked. And like we said last week, the one that happened in Colorado City, that was not an isolated incident. And we need for you all to understand that. And, you know, even there was not even any press for that, really, barely. You know, the press that they received was over social media, primarily black Twitter. And so this is why, you know, the people that, you know, like to put down social media, I'm like, I'm just looking at them because, you know, social media has enabled and empowered us to bring stories to the forefront that normally would be buried or not even spoken on at all. And this is how we're able to share information with each other, and this is how we're able to organize. So, you know, again, you guys, you know, it's important. Pay attention to what's going on. Um, Moving Social Justice 2, I'm skipping on you. Moving Social Justice 2, October of 2015, this year, at Rice University, okay? And we'll have more information. Our host group is Houston Black Nonbelievers, and we'll have the magnificent Tony Penn there. We'll have, you know, absolutely phenomenal Dr. Hutchinson there, and the fantastic Donald Wright, he'll be there. And so, you know, um, there's going to be a lot of people. Dr. Monica Miller will be there. Um, you know, and we're anticipating quite a few, you know, Dr. Chris Cameron, you know, just it's going to be absolutely phenomenal. You know, I am so looking forward to it. Raina will be there. How about that? Mm-hmm. Raina, mm-hmm. Raina will be there. Um, Rev Moise will be there. You know, so, you know, Rev is coming back for the second time. For those of you that aren't familiar with Rev, you are going to absolutely love our DVD. Once we release it and start selling the instant downloads and the DVDs, you all get a chance to enjoy Rev's, you know, just enlightenment. And you're going to be motivated, absolutely motivated. And, you know, we have wonderful people. Debbie Goddard will be there. She was there this past year in 2014. She'll be there in 2015. And we all know, you know, Deb will be coming up with these, you know, with these quotes, and it's like, oh, man, so we just get to use them all over the place, but she's absolutely magnificent as well. So, you know, just to kind of let you guys know, it's going to be happening at Rice University. We want to see it. You know, we had a fantastic turnout last year. We're expecting that and some this year. So, you know, we're excited, you know, in 2016. We will be in the DMV area, so let me make sure I get this right. D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, I kept saying DMV, D.C., Maryland, and Baltimore. I don't know why. It just stuck with me. But we'll be in that area. And, you know, telling people now you all need to start saving up your coins because it's happening. And in 2017, it will be here in the Midwest, Chicago. And so, you know, we're putting different pieces in place to make sure that, you know, we work with, you know, the local groups, you know, in DMV, 
Chocolate City Skeptics will be the host group. And when it comes to Chicago, Black Skeptics Chicago will be the host group. And so after Midwest, we still haven't quite figured out where, but it will be in the south somewhere. Because we want to make sure we hit all of the different regions because we want everybody to have the opportunity to enjoy, you know, um, this conference. And that's why it's called Moving Social Justice. And so, you know, we're just excited. We're excited. If you have any suggestions, you can email us, blackskeptics at gmail.com, or if you wanted to email um, people of color directly, you can email us, peopleofcolorbeyondfaith at gmail.com. Again, that's peopleofcolorbeyondfaith at gmail.com. I know that's a lot. You can also use that as a PayPal donation as well. We have that set up also. So anyway, Raina, I think I have announced quite a bit. Let's see here. I talked about the Free Thought Blogs, which happens next Saturday at 3 o'clock. Was it 3 o'clock? Is it 3 o'clock Eastern or Central or Pacific? I believe that was uh, Eastern, but I'd have to look at it again. Okay. Yeah, we'll put it up. It's 3 o'clock on one of these coasts. We'll put all of that out. And... um, (laughs) <laughs> We're going to talk about people of color beyond beyond faith, you know, how it came about, what we're trying to achieve, what is our mission. So, you know, we look forward to that, and we're telling you guys don't miss it. And not only just our panel, you know, the Free Thought Blogs, they have a number of different panels, and it's absolutely magnificent. You're able to go back and view the archives. So we would, you know, encourage you guys to go on and do that. So, Raina, how you do? How was Melissa this morning? I'm sorry? Did you watch Melissa the first half? Oh, um, I saw, I caught bits of it. They were talking about um, wealth redistribution and um, some other things. So, this was a good conversation, what I saw of it. Okay, okay. So, wealth redistribution. Redistribution. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we have well, apparently, chat. apparently, I was going to say mm-hmm. um, the president, of course, for those of you that don't know, has made this something that he wants to try to tackle. And I think even Mitt Romney was saying that he uh, wants to deal with wealth redistribution because of the wealth gap. You know, there's a significant wealth gap, not just within the United States, but globally. And um, exactly. economists tell us that at least 80% of the um, problem of wealth, of the wealth gap, is actually based on inheritance. Exactly. So this is not necessarily money that one earns, but one that, um, but money that one accumulates um, through, you know, through the passing of one's, you know, re- relatives. So they're talking about basically in the United States, there's really not um, an estate tax, and and for those that are rich, I mean, there really, really isn't one because they have all these access to all these tax shelters and and what have you so so it really does create a problem um in terms of mm-hmm. the difference between those that we call the haves and those that we call the have nots um exactly so, and, know, and, and it doesn't matter what michael Shermer posts about wealth distribution and and um <laughs> and about um income 
because it's not income, because you can have a lot of income. If you come out of school with $150,000 in debt and you have a $300,000 a year job, you know, you're still going to be paying most of your money back in, in loans and, and fees and things like that. So you can't even begin the process of wealth accumulation when you start getting out of school because you're, you're, you're trying to catch up on all that debt. So people, people who, don't, who, don't, who aren't born wealthy, you know, they really start behind the eight ball, you know. Exactly, exactly. And there have been studies that show that, you know, just looking at things from, you know, a broad standpoint, that if they did, you know, level the playing field and, and tackle that wealth inequality gap, that is cheaper for, you know, for us to tackle that gap and to level it out than it is to keep it the way that it is. And, you know, with all the protests that you're seeing across the country, like in Italy and Greece and, you know, a number of other countries, this is because of the wealth inequality and the fascism that, you know, we are currently facing. And it's just it's important that they do that because, you know, Raina's correct when she said about inheritance. And, you know, the one part about that, the inheritance and how it's kind of tethered, to capitalism is with many people, their wealth comes from indentured servitude around around the world, not just in the United States. And so, you know, it, it's, it's important that you guys understand that and, and understand how it's all tied in. You always hear us talking about, you know, the evils of capitalism and it's, it's tied to uh, slavery, it's tied to racism, it's tied to sexism, to a number of things. And so it's just it's important for you all to understand. Uh, we just had the anniversary on January 12th of the earthquake in Haiti. And we had a number of people saying, well, where's the money? Those organizations took the money and ran. And so what I would have you all do when you have some free time this week, I want you to look up France and how Haiti is still paying for uh, you know, basically kicking France out of their country and how France is basically taxing Haiti and a number of other countries um, because of their bringing them colonialism, like they brought them something wonderful. So, you know, just little things like that for you all to understand, you know, how some of this works. But, yeah, Randy, you know, you know, follow the money, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it was interesting, but um, yeah, but yeah, that, that's what she was talking about, and I don't know what else she was talking about on her program because I didn't really catch the whole thing. I just caught a little bit right before I called in. So, yeah. Oh, okay, excellent. Well, for those that didn't know, um, the Black Lives Matter conference was this past weekend, and I posted the link on my wall, and so it was going out to live stream. And so you can watch the archives of that. It started Friday. Um, they had, you know, a number of, I think it started Thursday. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, see, that's why I had to go back and backtrack because I'm like, hey, you know, we get to watch so many of these different webinars and webcasts. It all turns into a big old blur after a while. It was another one that I posted on my wall, and it was talking about race in America. So, if you go down my wall, and I know I post a lot of stuff, but if you go down the wall, you'll see the Black Lives Matter conference and the one about race in America. I know the headline starts, watch, 
colon, and then it's talking about race. So you go and look for those two, and you'll have plenty to, you know, uh, enjoy this weekend and to take up some time. And because, yeah, tomorrow, everybody, it's a federal holiday tomorrow, Martin Luther King Day. How about yep, that? Unless you, unless you work in, you know, some, you know, some sectors of the economy, you are more than likely off tomorrow. So, you know. Yeah. I think I'll play Stevie Wonder song. Happy birthday. You know, his birthday was last week. That's all right. You know, <laughs> what was wonderful. I just wanted to about- say, I just wanted to say something because we were talking about this and you sent me the article. So I just wanted to cover this because tomorrow's Martin Luther King's birthday. And I saw that somebody had posted something and, and, um, you know, this just goes along with what we what we normally do. And this is, you know, we're not all, like, not all criticism or critique comes because people don't, you know, don't like you or have something against you. You know what I mean? But I wanted to say something about this one because it kind of was, it kind of just bothered me a little bit. Um, so there was an article that was posted on Patios on the graffiti, was it the graffiti wall? Yeah, the graffiti wall. And, um, it was posted by Alex Jules. Um, Alex Jules is out of Dallas, for those of you that don't know. Um, he wrote an article saying boycott Selma. And I just wanted to say that I think that maybe boycott wasn't the appropriate word to use, um, particularly when you're talking about a, a movie in a in a industry that is heavily dominated by white males. And this movie is, is directed by a um, black female Um you know, that this movie, uh, you know, is being praised roundly across the country um, for its acting, its direction, for its scripts, for its story, you know, um, and that people are saying that we should boycott this movie. Now, I think it's really, um, on a, on a, on one note, I think that it is worth mentioning that Martin Luther King probably wouldn't want people engaging in, like, heavy commerce. You know what I mean? On a national mm-hmm. holiday honoring him, but he probably wouldn't have wanted a national holiday to begin with. You know what I mean? But right. under but probably would understand that national holidays are 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 things that we um that we can use politically and things and, and times that some people use for reflection and all that kind of stuff. So um but it's probably not a day that we should be, you know, trying to find a a deal on a car or a sofa, or, you know what I mean, uh, or or something along those lines, or, or going to a Martin Luther King Day party at the club. I don't know why they have Martin Luther King Day parties at the clubs. That doesn't even make sense to me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. That, I, I, I was like, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, there's something to be said for that, and there's something to say about going out and doing community service, and you know what I mean, and, and helping other people and whatnot. But I think that the word boycott was particularly disturbing um, for me as a black woman um, to see um, someone saying that we should boycott a movie made by a black woman where a movie where movies made by black women are very rare. You know what I mean? Right. And um, certainly don't get the sort of respect and... Um, and attention that this movie has gotten, and it still hasn't gotten the respect that it deserves. Um, you know, we saw the how it was snubbed, you know, at uh, the Oscars, and um, right. yeah. So it's um, 
you know, so I think it's just important the language that we sometimes choose, and we have to be very careful and precise, you know, about the language that we use. Um, because, the, because, you know, there are people who won't use that term boycott in, in the same way to say that we should boycott, you know, people that engage in rampant Islamophobia, like Sam Harris, right? They're not saying this is you, Alex, just saying in general. There are people who won't criticize or say that we should boycott, you know, Richard Dawkins. I think that, you know, when one of the skeptics had made that, you know, uh, particular suggestion, and I don't even think she made the suggestion. I think that she said that she wasn't going to support Richard Dawkins. And people were like, oh, you're telling people to boycott Richard Dawkins. You know what I mean? But even still, like, you know, this, you know, there are people who would never say that we should boycott these people. You know, that's a very, um, it's a very uh, political act, boycott. And protest is a very, it, it's a form of protest. And, you know, are we, are we protesting a movie that, that highlights, you know, the black experience in a in a landscape where the black experience is a, um, is marginalized and um, oftentimes denigrated. Do we want to use that word? I don't think so. But that was, that was just the only that was my beef with the it was mainly with the use of the language um, boycott. Right. And I think that's really I think it's really important that we're very specific in our language. So definitely, if you want to stay home. And not go see Selma on, on, you know, MLK's birthday. That's that's on you. You know what I mean? It's you know, if right. you want to go out and do service, no one's going to tell you not to go do service. You know, if you don't want to give hey, your money to AMC on his birthday, that's your business. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I don't. I think boycotting the movie is saying that people should boycott the movie on his birthday is like something totally different. You know? Right, right, and and it's you know in his article. He also stated that people, you know, if possible, go out and do some, you know, um, local charity work, do some volunteering, um, so on and so forth. And so, um, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Go out and do some charity right. work. That's that's fine. Right. You know. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. The word boycott. I mean, just the the title itself, you know, is going to get people's attention. But you know, one thing that I've learned. You know, and that that was even before coming into this community. It's just you know, growing up in different situations, people will take what you said and or wrote, and they will twist it because right. you know um, there are a lot of people who do have a problem seeing you know black women empowered like Ava DuVernay to be able to go out right. and, and make these films and and. You know, again, with the patriarchal system that we live in, you know, there are some men out there that are just, you know, they they have issues with the fact that, you know, she's trying to have authority over men. So it's, it's just, you know, we have to be Well, careful. not just that, but there's also an issue of white supremacy in in this, too. Not Again, this is not in reference right. to to Alice Jewell, but talking about this movie in, con- in the context in which it's, you know, in which it's being released, right? There's been a lot of criticism of Ava DuVernay's movie because it doesn't um, really feature, you know, um, you know, Lyndon B. Johnson prominently. Now, right. there's, right. there's, there, you know, Lyndon B. Johnson obviously signed the Voting Rights Act. You know what I mean? Right. And um, and and was responsible for, 
carrying out a lot of the reforms that we what, that we think of as victories in terms of the, the civil rights movement, right? But mm-hmm. <clears throat> Lyndon B. Johnson was not a perfect, you know, was not a perfect um, uh, ally either. He was, he, I wouldn't even really call him an ally. I feel like in many ways that was, he had to engage in, 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 in signing those acts to quell the, you know, the unrest at the time. Yes. But, you know, Lyndon B. Johnson and um, John F. Kennedy approved of the FBI surveillance of Martin Luther King. Um, right. They, you know, they, and the FBI, of course, was engaged in, in um, using all sorts of informants. And, um, of course, we know that J. Edgar Hoover actually sent a letter to Martin Luther King, um, right. you know, suggesting that he kill himself and, you right. know, all of this. So, um you know, and apparently there were even some jokes that were made in the White House about how, um, you know, you know they didn't want to invite, um, or, or no, I can remember I saw um, John F. Kennedy had said something about not wanting to invite Martin Luther King to the White House before he invited someone else. And the reason being is because he felt like Martin Luther King, inviting Martin Luther King to the White House was like inviting, um, you know, Mark or Lenin. You know what I mean to the White House, wow. and um, you know, basically just talking about, um, you know, the perception that you know the the civil rights movement was tied into some you know larger political aim of making the United States communist, you know, because there were a lot of communist wow. fears at that time. So, um, you know, it just mm-hmm. it just sort of just goes to show you that, um, you know, the the way that the ways in which we're taught history are, are really sort of in, in these sort of black and white, you know, sort of ways, and they miss a lot of the nuance and a lot of the um, significant things that are going on in the background, you know? So um, right. we have to keep those things in mind. And so she's been she's been criticized by a number of, of, of white, you know, critics in particular because she didn't give significant credit to LBJ. And Ava DuVernay herself has said that she didn't want to create a movie um, that was based around a white savior. I mean, we have a lot of those movies. Um, we have right. movies like, like you know, in, in a sense, Amistad is one of those movies, although Amistad also has some, some very interesting elements in it as well, particularly in terms of um, its depiction of, of black masculinity. You know, the men in that movie were very were very spiritual. They were also, you know, they also committed a violent, some violence, but they committed violence and, and, um, for the sake of freeing themselves. You know what I mean? But right. it was, and it was interesting because these built that they killed it. Yeah, right. So the movie, the movie has some white savior elements, but it also, um, depicts these men as, as deeply thoughtful men. You know what I mean? As, as spiritual men. You know what I mean? As, um, not sort of barbaric monsters, right? Um, exactly. And so there's there's that aspect to it. But there, then, of course, you have movies like The Help, you know, which are completely about white saviors. You know exactly. what I mean? Um, there's, there's other films uh, um, that are like that as well. So, I mean, um, and, you know, there's some black people and, 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 you know, people who are involved in social justice who I've actually heard say that they're, somewhat disappointed in Ava DuVernay's movie, not, you know, totally disappointed, but a little disappointed because they felt that um, it would have been nice to have a movie that kind of 
tied um that didn't leave it uh, everything tied up in a nice sort of feel good way at the end like in a way that people can walk away and say oh things are so much better now as though we don't still deal with racism and police brutality and you know um you know and those sorts of things so that maybe if there had been some you know some some other ending you know what i mean which one could connect to the um sorts of issues with race that we deal with today um some of some of which that martin luther king predicted himself right um mm-hmm. would occur you know because he he said you know he feared that he was integrating his people into a burning house you know what i mean right so uh, some of these things are things that he predicted himself um but uh it's just uh this is interesting. There's lots of different perspectives, but the overall, I just wanted to say that there's a lot of issues um, when you use that word boycott in reference to this movie because of the racial and um, patriarchal issues that are going on. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah. So, I just, you know, I, yeah. So, it's just interesting because I mean, yeah, again, it's so like cute. I just wanted to point that out because we just because sometimes we get people who criticize us and say like, "Oh, you're so mean," and you you know, you all you do is criticize and stuff like that. But you can criticize people in you know about things and not necessarily have like any sort of motive against them or hatred or anything like that, but. It kind of—I just have to say—it kind of bothered me, and 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 maybe I'm sensitive to it because I'm a black woman, and maybe I'm sensitive to it because there, um, oftentimes as a black woman, I've faced similar issues where I right. felt, I I actually felt and 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 had evidence of people treating me differently because I'm a woman, and so there's certain there's certain um certain expectations and certain beliefs about my capacity to do certain things because I'm a woman and there's certain ideas in, about my capacity to do things because I'm black and there's certain things that, that, um, that, you know, people assume about me because of of my presence as a black woman um, because right. there's, there's some things that happen to those assumptions when you add them together, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's not necessarily an additive effect, but sometimes it's just a whole nother effect. You know what I mean? Something that has absolutely nothing to do with, you know, black maleness and something that has absolutely nothing to do with white femaleness. So we have to um, acknowledge that. So there's, 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 there, there could be some ways that I'm, I'm sensitive to that, but I think that we also have to realize that there's a lot to being a minority and, and, how, and, and, and living the minority experience that cannot be quantified, you know? that I can't put on a pie chart for you, you know? Right. And I understand, especially if you work or have worked in academia or corporate America, um, and you're a black woman, you learn very quickly that it really doesn't matter how much experience, talent, and, and, and you know, experience and talent that you have, that coming in the door, there are going to be some people who automatically assume that you're an EEO <laughs> higher right. and that you're mm-hmm. competent and, and, you know, all of these things. And Raina and I both work in STEM, and we both work in white male-dominated fields. And so, right. you know, it, it's, 
it, it becomes very hairy. And you see the way that they're treating President Obama. That is the way many of us are treated in corporate America. We have the intellect, we have the experience, we have, you know, all of the skills that's behind us, talent, all of that. But there are some people who refuse to recognize that. I know I've been in situations where we would be having, you know, some type of technical meeting and I would, you know, put forth the resolution to a particular problem that we had and they would act like they didn't understand it. And so my, you know, my partner, you know, because we usually work in teams of two, my partner will turn around and say the exact same thing I said with the same wording, and they would get right. it. Mm-hmm. And I would Absolutely. sit there and say, well, isn't that what I just said? You know and what? You know what it is. You know what it is. You know what it is. I, I'm uh-huh. gonna I'm gonna liken it to a commercial that I like. So there's this commercial for Orbit's gum, right? I think you probably have seen it or heard about it before, but. There's a commercial for Orbit's gum, and it's basically like someone has something on, like they ate something for for lunch, like um, like garlic or onions, you know, something that has real pungent aroma, right? Right. And and they get into an elevator, they're talking to their boss, and every time they're talking to their boss, like the little bit, like the onion or the garlic or whatever, it's like you know, it's in a somebody in a, you know, in a costume, right? They go, la, 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 you know, they make a lot of noise. You know what I mean? So I, I feel like in some ways being a minority is that all the time. Like, you know, to you, your, 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 your skin color, your ethnicity, your, you know, your sex or whatever is, 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 a, is a part of you. It's, it's inextricable, right? But for right. people who are, um, you know, who haven't, you know, dealt with or are not willing to deal with their privilege, it becomes a distraction for them. You know what I mean? Right. So you're so you're providing them with information, with, you know, substantive, you know, arguments and whatnot, and all they hear is, la, 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 she's black. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> okay. And, and then when you yeah. say nothing at all, they say, well, she's not even trying to be a part of the team. And so it's just, right. you, you, it's just hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, we used to get it from the top down. And so I, I can share this now because it's been several years since, you know, this happened. But uh, I'm, I was laughing when you brought up Amistad because um, – mm-hmm. One of the people higher up um, in HR, you know, it's like, you know, some HR reporting people, you know, we had, we were dealing with some issues, right? And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we're the computer people, we have access to everything. So we changed the music on their Outlook. So instead of the, you know, little tune that sometimes plays when you open up Outlook, we changed Mm -hmm. it to that clip. I'm a style where it says, give us, us free. And so whenever she, right. <laughs> she would open up her outlook, she would hear that, and she would call. And the thing is, is that, you know, most of the text, you know, the junior-level text that would go out, they didn't know how to change all of that. They didn't know how to change right. the sound. And so we had to change it back, but we would laugh because we used to do things like that or change their passwords on them. And so, you know, you know, little passive-aggressive right. stuff. You know, especially when we had a meeting 
and they would do things. Basically, they would ignore us. You know, I would have a black man on a team. They totally ignored him, too. So it was right. just, you know, the thing is interesting. But anyway, I'm going to talk about something that you touched on. And so today we're going to talk about, you know, black women being co-opted and written out of history. But before we can get to that, we probably need to put co-opted into context. So mm-hmm. it's interesting when Raina was talking about, um, you know, LBJ, who called the Civil Rights Bill the nigger bill, for those that didn't know, um, during that time, we had that red I didn't even scare. know he called it that. You just taught me something new. Yeah, he <laughs> called it the nigger bill. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't yeah, even know that. that. I mean, I, I always had a feeling that he was racist, but I could I'd never heard heard that information before. So you just taught me something. Thank you. Well, there you go. <laughs> all right, now that yeah. you all you go look it up. So um, during that time period, you know, this was the fifties and the sixties. We started having all of this McCarthyism the Red Scare, and with the Civil Rights Movement, it was co-opted by anti-communism, which, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and it co-opted the mainstream Civil Rights Movement to a certain degree. And and, and the only reason why I'm bringing that up is to kind of talk about something that happened most recently with the Charlie Hebdo and how, you know, that's kind of co-opted um, part of what's happening with the Black Lives Matter, it co-opted NAACP bombing, and all of these things. And so, you know, we want you all to pay attention to these things because even now, I you would know, say, I think this- maybe the word for that for that situation in particular is preempts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> We're yeah, so yeah, yeah. co-op. It is, yeah, yeah. So. yeah but <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. You know, preempts. Yeah. You know what's happening with Harvey Hebdo, but it's interesting because of the twenty four seven coverage of something that happened over in France. And remember, not too long ago in this country, the people in this country called themselves boycotting France. They wouldn't even ask for French fries; they wanted American fries. Yep. You mm-hmm. know the team. Soon we forget, and right? now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, they're our they're our closest allies. And even right. even the Republicans who were who weren't even trying to eat French fries are all right. are all good friends with the French now. Funny how that right. works. Yeah, you know, real funny. But you know, you know, we just you know we we try to look at these things. And so when you look back to the civil rights and the Black Power eras, you know, basically, what was interesting is is that a lot of what was happening in those movements. It was being co-opted, it was being marginalized, and and pretty much incorporated into mainstream institutions. And, and, you know, it's it's a lot that goes on, and not only with the civil rights movement, even with the LGBTQ movement, what happened, um, you know, in New York City when they had Stonewall, that was black and Puerto Rican trans women who decided to fight back. And a lot of that history has been, you know, written or whitewashed or revised, and and that entire movement was co-opted by the mainstream LGBTQ community. And they do a lot of these things so that it's more palatable, if you will, 
to white America? Because, I mean, I'm sure many of you all have read some of these articles in which he was talking about, you know, the bombing at NAACP, the massacre uh, from Boko Haram over in Africa with 2,000 people who lost their Nigeria. lives. Nigeria. Yeah, over in Nigeria. Yeah, over in Nigeria. But I'm just saying it was Boko Haram that, you know, um, um I know when you say Africa, they don't people don't know Africa. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't know they don't know where it is. They think Africa is a country. So they think it's going on all over Africa. <laughs> you just meant Nigeria. Yeah, yeah, okay. So Nigeria. Over there in Niger. You yeah. one G short. But um um uh-uh. anyway, I hope you all caught that. Um Damn, where the hell was I going with this? Oh, yeah, so it was talking about the reason why the NAACP bombing and and the massacre of 2,000 lives didn't, you know, have the type of news cycle and the coverage that it deserved. And there were a few people that were blatantly honest about it. And they said the reason why is, number one, you know, racism. But number two, you know, again, here we go with the white supremacy. And the fact that white America does not know how to identify with those things, which is why we have them taking issue with the protests in this country, because they do not know how to identify with us. They, in, in many cases, do not see us as fully human. And so, you know, this is why it's important that, you know, we bring this information to you guys and to understand, you know, what's happening. Because when you look at some of these protests, um, you know, um, you'll see on some of these, um, you know, the signs that they hold up and it'll say Black Lives Matter. And you look at the bottom of it and it'll say Revcom.us. Now... Revcom, that's Revolutionary Communism. That's another organization. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, I won't say it's a complex situation, but, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to walk the tightrope here. So, basically, Revcom, what they've been doing in, in, in their attempts to co-op the protests that black people are having across this country, what they do is they just hop in there and they have these signs and they give signs to people saying Black Lives Matter, but, you know, redirecting you to their website. And a lot of them are, you know, you know, communists. They want a full revolution. You have a lot of anarchists, you know, white anarchists. And this is why with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, and in particular what was happening in Ferguson, this is why we kept saying and kept, you know, stressing to you guys that the ones that were committing the violence were particularly these white anarchists. But the protesters were being blamed for that, and they were peacefully protesting. This is why they had, you know, people stationed at the different stores so that, you know, these anarchists wouldn't burn them down and loot them. And it's, you know, it's so, you know, to put all of this in perspective for you, but what's happening here with the RevCon and other people is they're trying to co-opt our movement, you know, a movement for black people by black people, and they're trying to co-opt it while, while inserting their own white agency. And you see that when you see people replacing Black Lives Matter with All Lives Matter or Cop Lives Matter and, you know, 
you know, police lives matter, all of this. They're trying to co-opt that, you know. Right, just, and, like, and, the, just like the recent New York Times um, cover that they did. Um, mm-hmm. It has um, Martin Luther King linking, linking arms with Officer Liu and Eric Garner and Trayvon Martin and um, Mike Brown are behind him. But, um, you know, a lot of people pointed out um, that part of the problem with that um, cover story is that um, it basically is um, is basically acting as though um, state violence, right, um, the uh-huh. state murders of, you know, Mike Brown and Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, and to an extent Martin Luther King, not saying that the state necessarily murdered Martin Luther King, but we know that um, that that there were you know at the at the time a lot of state agencies colluded with right. people who were engaged in these sorts of assassinations. And exactly. although we although several years later we got a conviction, right, of mm-hmm. of a lone white gunman, that um, that more than likely he had the support of people in local government. If if right. if not higher, you know what I right. mean. So um, you know, so so there so there's that. Um, you know, so they're basically comparing violence from the state to random acts of of killing, and that's what the, right. what the murders of Officer was it Officer Rodriguez? I, I don't remember the Hispanic officer and the and the Asian officers that were shot um, by Ishmael. What's his name? Ishmael. Um, can't remember the guy's last name, but the but the I gentleman, or, ever, yeah, yeah, the 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 guy who um, basically shot his ex girlfriend and then went to New York and shot a couple of police officers, and um, right. you know people are comparing these two things as if they're even remotely similar. I mean, they're similar in the terms of you know there are families who have obviously lost dear loved ones, and we you know we obviously grieve with them and we're sorry for them, and obviously these two police officers weren't doing anything wrong at the time and, you know, so that we can't, we can't, um, you know, act as though their murders are not tragic. Their murders are tragic. But there's a difference between state violence and, and sort of the random violence of this, um, this obviously disturbed young man, you know. Right. Um, they're on different levels entirely. Um, you know, these police officers in the state are supposed to function um, for the benefit of citizens. When police officers kill citizens unnecessarily, um, that is a violation of that of that pact. You know, exactly. it's, a, it's a very different sort of um, violation than the violation of someone who decides to just commit an act of murder on their own. You know, exactly, so. exactly, and 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 that's why you know we're bringing it up because you know even with that after you know that tragedy they were trying to tell the protesters to stay home until after the funerals of those two police officers. And the response was, well, you know, no one waited to shoot us. I mean, you know, no one put the whole... And so it's just really interesting. But, yeah, you know, there have been a lot of, you know, black people in these move in, in the protests around the country that have been complaining about, again, like I said, the anarchists and the white leftists, you know, co-opting, you know, the protests. And, and basically what would happen was, you know, 
you know, the black people would be peacefully protesting, arms locked, you know, walking together, singing a song or whatever it is they're doing. And what would happen would be with these, these white anarchists and leftists with their little, you know, signs, they would jump in front right before the photographers take the picture so they could have, you know, that opportunity, you know, again, self-promoting. And, and it's just, you know, it's been a lot of that happening. And, you know, um, even with a lot of the police officers in New York, they were, you know, doing the same thing with the Police Lives Matter, you know, attempting to co-opt this. But, you know, again, in relation to black women, because we're going to put it in context, um, Black Lives Matter was started by three queer black women. You know, that was Alicia Garza, Opal Tometi, and Patrice Cullors. And, you know, these are three LGBTQ women that started this Black Lives Matter um, after Trayvon was executed by George Zimmerman, who was arrested last week. And what's interesting about this whole situation here is that you have people attempting to co-opt this movement and co-opt the hard work and, and the brilliance of these three women. So you have Jesse Jackson running out here. You have Al Sharpton. And he is the biggest one trying to co-opt this movement from these three women and, 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 and from the, you know, the black community, the millennialists. But in addition to that, not only with Al Sharpton, you know, trying to make it seem as though this is his movement, which is not nobody elected him, you know, but we sure as hell are going to vote him out. How about that? But, um, <laughs> you know, but the thing is, is that you have a lot of men, you know, just in general. And, again, we're dealing with, you know, a patriarch system in this country. You have a lot of men that are trying to co-opt the Black Lives Matter as well. And this is where some of the pushback is coming from because I know for, you know, for instance, Lakeisha, you know, bougie black girl, she specifically, you know, did a Twitter chat, and she does articles about black women and girls matter, you know, and that hashtag is out there. Not only black girls and black women, but black trans women, their lives matter too, and there's a hashtag for that out there. And, you know, I just find it interesting that this movement was started by three queer women of color and how it's being co-opted just basically to focus on the lives of black men. And so, you know, we want you all to pay attention to what's happening out there. But in addition to that, you have a lot of the older civil rights vanguard trying to run to get in front of this and trying to control these young people. And I've been saying this consistently, and I will not shut up about it. Listen, people, older people, you know, us with the saged wisdom, get out the way. Get out of the way. Let these young people have their movement. They know what they're doing. It's time. You need to give up the ghost, my dear. Let these young people have their movement. Let them lead their own movement. We are here to counsel them and to give them direction and to give them focus and to support them. This is our job. They don't have any money. They haven't been able to find a job. That's one of the reasons why we have some of the issues that we're having in Chicago. You know, I live up here in Chicago, Chirac, as some people call it, which I think that's rude, but, you know, that's what they call it. However, you know, they gave a lot of the young people summer jobs who normally haven't been able to find jobs. 
and, and had no economic opportunities. They gave a lot of these young people summer jobs. They had designated a, you know, a certain fund for, for that specifically, and crime went down exponentially. So when we talk about these things, you know, when you have white people trying to deflect the conversation and they ask you something ignorant like, what about black-on-black crime? You know, the response is, what about economic and educational opportunities? Right. You know, and so, you know, and just, you know, showing you guys how all of this is happening. And you have some black men out here who are saying that, you know, when, when we start factoring in, you know, gender and and all of these things that is diluting the movement, and, and that's not true. But what's interesting is if you just do a, you know, comparative analysis of what's happening with the Black Lives Matter, you do a comparative analysis of that with the Black Power Movement as well as the Civil Rights Movement, you'll see the same thing. You'll see the patriarchy and how it came into play. And what was interesting about the black power movement was initially women had positions of leadership and authority. You know, even though there was still a lot of sexism and misogyny there, but they had positions. And later on down the line, a lot of these women were moved out of those positions because, you know, the men wanted to prove their manhood, if you will. And so it's, 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 you know, you know, you start walking a tightrope when you look at these things because a lot of this history has been whitewashed. And just like, you know, when when, when Raina was talking about Martin Luther King and, and what was happening with that, that's why they have Reclaim MLK, that hashtag, Reclaim MLK, and why people are talking more about the anti-capitalist Martin Luther King Martin Luther King, who finally realized that, um, you know, the pacifism wasn't working. And mm-hmm. and he was finding and, and utilizing different strategies, which is how the Poor People's Campaign came about. But, you know, again, you know, even with this Black Lives Matter um you know, movement, and it's not even a full-fledged movement yet. You know, Black Lives Matter, a new phase of the civil rights movement, you know, is kind of congruent there. Um, It's not even a full-fledged movement. That's why you see people building platforms, you know, building an economic platform. You know, they're, they're doing all of this in the background so that when it, you know, when life is truly breathed into this, you know, movement, we will have all these things in place because we have to know exactly what we want and we have to place those demands, you know. But, you know, again, you know, what's happening with black leadership in this country, you know, um, you know, as I believe it was Fannie Lou Hamer who said strong people do not need strong leaders. And that's somewhat what I'm seeing with the Black Lives Movement. It's like they've taken on some of the personality of SNCC, if you will, with with Diane Nash and Ella Baker, with how they set SNCC up, that there wasn't any one specific leader in front of everybody. Because what happens is, you know, when you have one person designated, it kind of goes to their head, and they think the movement is about them. When the movement is about the people and the issues, and so you have these smaller groups that may have individual leaders, but what they're doing is they're build, building up the leadership and everybody in these groups. 
Because if you have these different groups out here working on different issues, you know, it's like we're still, the wheel is still moving. But, you know, it, it, it's a lot of different areas that, that are being covered. But, um, yeah, you know, what's happening is, you know, we're having the development of different organizations in this movement, different strategies, different programs, and, and this will help to address, you know, the you know, problems, you know, in, in our country, you know, that are post-civil rights, and that's what's happening now. But it's not even no such thing as post-civil rights. You know, until we are recognized as human beings, you know, the civil rights movement will go on. But... Going back to, you know, um, what's happening is we have to be very careful because you have a lot of people out here that are, you know, attempting to co-opt these movements. Um, And we can't allow that to happen. It's been happening all this time. You had black women that started all of these movements because if there was no Ella Baker and no Fannie Lou Hamer, no Septima Clark, there would have been no Martin Luther King. No Bayard Rustin, you know, no A. Philip Randolph, you know, um, you know, Hosea Williams. I can go down the line, Andrew Jackson, Maynard Jackson, you know, all of those people. And so, and John Lewis, you know. So, and, and not John just Lewis. that, but all of the nameless black women that actually ran these organizations, you know what I mean, that, that, we, don't, that we don't have histories on. And, and, and you also have to remember, and, and this is part of the, one of the sad parts of history, right, like, because of the experience that black women have had in this country and because of um, the things that they've seen and witnessed, in some ways it, it, it's, it's, it's really erased some of that history because there's a lot of black women who are very loath to turn over their papers. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Or, to, or to even give their oral accounts of the things that they that have happened to them, the things that they've seen, um, because they're afraid they're going to be misused or um, misconstrued exactly. somehow, you know? So um, right. it, it's, it's, really, it's really sad. It really is. It, it really is. And, you know, just to put things in perspective, if these women had not initiated these movements and kept these movements going and funded these movements, they would have fizzled out. If they did not have black women in the black power of the civil rights movement, there never would have been a black rights or black power civil rights movement because it was the women who kept it going, even to this day. It's funded primarily by women. And what a lot of people don't realize is that these black women, and, you know, not just black women, we have Latino women, we have Asian women, women of color, indigenous women, you know, all of them, you know, and the majority of them serve as source as the source, you know, the sources for the mobilization of people, the sources of, you know, um, having capital, which is money, and they didn't have any roles, you know, in the movement, not any real recognized roles. And, you know, if they had not been there, you know, it never would have gotten to the place that it was. And so, you know, that is why during this, um, the March on Washington in particular, um, you didn't have any women speaking. You had one woman, I forgot who it was, because um, I know they wanted Mahalia Jackson to speak, and she said no. She didn't feel as though that was her place to speak. Who was it that they let speak? I forget. Oh, I'm so sorry, you guys, but it was one woman well, that they allowed. Josephine Baker. Well, Josephine Baker spoke that day. And, okay, um, so yeah, Josephine Baker. 
Lakers, so she was and the they, only and one. There were, and there were, I don't know that she was the only one, but I, I okay. do recall that she spoke. But there, but you almost hear, you never hear anything hardly about what she spoke on that day. You know what I mean? That's, um, yeah. as though as though her contributions, you know, were just minuscule. You know, I mean, Josephine Baker, you know, she gave a lot of a lot of money and a lot of time, and she she integrated audiences. You know what I right. mean? At a time where integrated audiences were, you know, were not just not customary, but you know, also also against the law. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, she integrated military audiences, made black and white men sit together. You know, during USO concerts. You know what I mean? She was. She was, you know, I mean, and and that's not just, um, you know, artists in general, you know. um, So, you know, there's lots of different ways that one can protest, lots of different ways that one can, you know, um, fight for for one's cause. And, you know, artists like Josephine Baker, you know, were extremely important, you know, and, and don't get a lot of the credit that they deserve because, you know, no, they weren't always leading marches, and no, they weren't always speechifying, but they gave money to causes. They, you know, they put their bodies on the line. They put their careers on the line, you know? Exactly. I'm going to have to post this link that I had, and it was talking about, you know, the, the march, and, and and when they were putting together um, this, you know, the march on Washington and, you know, putting together the panel and how um, Bayard Rustin and Ella Baker went toe-to-toe, and, you know, even with Dorothy Hyde, who was integral to all of this, you know, how they were kind of told that the women were to be supportive and to allow the men to lead. And, and, and then at one point, um, Bayard Rustin said, to them, well, we have Mahalia Jackson, as though that was the end-all, be-all to that particular argument. So I'm going to post that later so that you all can see, you know, what some of them had to deal with. And like I said, I told you guys, there were two marches, one for the men and one for the women. But, um, you know, going back to the Black Lives Matter movement here, um, you know, you have a lot of other people trying to co-opt this movement. You had people who were, you know, anti-abortion or the anti-abortion activists trying to dismiss the killings. The, you know, the murders of young, you know, African-American people. And, you know, they tried to brush it off as insignificant while trying to say black lives matter in regards to abortion. And, and you know, the killing oh of... You know, that was so, that was so manipulative. That was so manipulative yeah. and that was so, that was so despicable. You know what I mean? As, and, and, then you, and then you ignore the lives that have to carry those children. Right, exactly. because the women who are getting those abortions are getting those abortions precisely because we live in a world that we don't have a living wage. We live in a world exactly. that we don't have access to affordable childcare. Childcare is expensive. You know what yeah. I mean? It is prohibitively so. You know what I mean? Right. I mean it's it is really bad. I mean the fact that children, black children. Are, are more are are more likely not to have adequate pre K education to go into kindergarten right. unprepared. You know what I mean? Some of them even have to repeat kindergarten. You know, black children. Um, you know, they're because of the lack of of wages and the lack of um, 
the lack of education and, and opportunities there. A lot of black children um, who may or may not actually have, um, you know, behavioral disorders, right, or learning disabilities are, are basically pushed into that system because they didn't have adequate access to the resources that were, would be necessary to the enriched environment of some of these right. um, really, you know, top, you know, preschool programs or top kindergarten right. programs. You know, when you have an impoverished environment for a child, that has a significant impact on their development, you know. Exactly. Those, those, those early years are very key to what will happen for the rest of their lives. If you start them off wrong, they usually will stay that way uh, if there's not exactly. any sort of intervention, you know what I mean? And there has to right. be appropriate intervention at the at the early years and even at the later years. But, um, you know, a lot of people, and, you know, and that's part of why I, I like, I study neuroscience, right? I, I'm interested in issues of learning and memory and neural development because, um, you know, we spend a significant amount of money on special education. And in, in some respects, that's not money that we absolutely have to spend on special education. If we, um, if we do things like, um, put money into programs like WIC, you know what I mean, um, you know, to continue those programs, to put money into pre-K programs and to kindergarten programs to prepare children for school. If we can, right. you know, if we actually invest in public education in a significant way, you know, and provide children with, a, with classrooms that where learning can really take place, you know what I mean, right. and not just housing them for you know, six, seven, eight hours or four hours if you have half-day kindergarten per day. You know what I mean? So exactly. it's, it's important that these issues are discussed, you know? Right. Exactly. That's true. And, you know, and, you know, factoring in the school-to-prison pipeline, you know, you have four- and five-year-olds, head starters and kindergartners being, you know, suspended from school. Right. Never heard of such a thing. I remember, you know, there was a story in my family about one particular um, relative being suspended from kindergarten. And when they used to tell us that, we used to laugh because we thought they were kidding. Now, mind you, you know, this person now is hitting, you know, 60. So, you know, they're considerably older than myself. So this is one of my older cousins. And like they used to tell us the story about how this person was suspended from kindergarten, and we would laugh because we thought they were exaggerating. Right. And you know, so this has been going on for a long time because I'm I'm sure many people out there have never heard of a kindergartner being suspended from school. So anyway, getting back on Black Lives Matter. You know, with this particular movement, it's important that we we recognize, you know, queer people of color, that we recognize trans people, we recognize Latino, Asian, disabled, so on and so indigenous, so on and so forth. And it's it's important for us to recognize them and to count them as well, because you know, it's, we we all got to be free, even though this is a, you know, you know, this movement started, but. Um, especially with Latino men, you know, you know, they're facing quite a bit of the same of what we're facing. But at the end of the day, 
this movement cannot be focused on just one particular, you know, group of people. And this is why you always hear us talking about dismantling of patriarchy, because, again, we're seeing some of the same things being repeated. And, you know, again, as I stated earlier, you have some black men that are trying to reassert their manhood, if you will, and and say that in order for this movement to work, that it has to be dominated by men and that the women have to basically be subservient in order for this, you know, um, this movement to be successful. And I don't find that to be true. And this is why you're getting so much pushback. You get so much pushback. And, you know, I'm trying to be very careful with my wording because we want to make sure that, you know, certain groups that are traditionally marginalized, you know, we've been fighting against that, you know, for several years, but especially... And you have a lot of people out here that, you know, are ignoring the plight of trans women or trans people. And we cannot allow them to factor, you know, that group out. We just can't allow it. This is for all black lives matter. All of them. Black and brown lives matter. And so, you know, we have to continue to move on. And that's the reason why you hear me consistently saying the names of the three women who came up with Black Lives Matter because we cannot allow these three women to be written out of history. We cannot allow their movement to be co-opted. And this is why we're, you know, pointing the finger and shining the light on, you know, Al Sharpton in particular and, you know, how, you know, he's trying to, you know, reinvent himself as, you know, the modern, you know, king. And, you know, Martin Luther King, and we can't allow that to happen for a number of reasons, a number of reasons, because in all honesty, you know, if the old civil rights vanguard try and, you know, co-opt this movement, it's going to lose its thing because the young people and many people who are in their mid-lives, like myself, we're not going to support it. I pretty much tell you that now. We're not going to support that. So, you know, they need to allow these millennials to be at the forefront, need to work with them on organizing their communities, and whether it's organizing at a community center, whether it's organizing at a church or, you know, some of these civil rights organizations that have their own facilities, you know, at this point in time, it does not matter. We need places to organize. We need people out there. We need strategists. We need all of these things. But we can't get bogged down in the infighting because we'll never make any progress. So, again, this is about, you know, being committed and involved to improving the conditions of people of color, namely black people in this country. And, again, black women, you know, we have been, you know, the backbone to all of these movements. And it's important for that to be recognized. And so, um, you know, what happened with the march in D.C., not too long ago, the march that Al Sharpton called himself, you know, putting together, and it was over 10,000 people approximately, and the Black Lives Matter um, organizers were told that they would have the opportunity to speak and they would be featured, and that didn't happen. 
And that's why you had organizers hopping the stage, um, you know, at, at that particular uh, march. And, you know, they let one, you know, young person speak. And at first, you know, he didn't want to, but they, they, they allowed her to speak. But it's just we can't allow this to be to happen. This is counterproductive because the young people are going to get discouraged and walk away. And we can't have that. We can't have that. And, you know, this is a struggle for racial parity. It's a struggle for social justice and liberation. And we need to, you know, understand that. And so, you know, just kind of putting this into context, if you go back throughout history, you know, you have some people who have a more conservative stance. You have other people who have a more liberal and radical stance, right? So, you know, one of the um, examples that a lot of people like to give is Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois and their debate over the best way to, you know, achieve racial parity in this country. And so, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois, you know, he was more liberal. And so, you know, he wanted, you know, um, blacks to challenge the system and be politically active. You know, while Booker T. Washington, you know, was a little bit more conservative and he wanted, you know, black people to be politically neutral or inactive. And so, you know, you saw the same thing happening in the civil rights movement and you're seeing the same thing in the Black Lives Matter movement. And it's important that you all understand, you know, how this comes about and how these social movements begin. And, you know, one theory from um, Joe Freeman is, you know, it talks about spontaneous generation. And that's, you know, that's what they use to explain, you know, you know why a movement will or will not, will not take place. And so it's about having grievances, you know, and, and the social structure to allow this movement activity to happen. And we have plenty of grievances, you know, not only about the economic and educational disadvantages, but about the fact that we, you know, that this country still allows people to basically beat and kill black people with impunity. Mm. And so, you know, that's what's been happening. And, I mean, there's a number of other issues. And this is why, you know, they're building the platform, you know, to talk about... Um, you know, public policies and trying to affect some real change. And so, um, you know, we just want you guys to understand and to pay attention. These women, you know, they're putting their lives on the line. And what happened, you know, back with the civil rights movement and the black power movement, when they kept saying, you know, stop trying to factor in gender, Quite a few black women went over to the feminist movement, but then there was pressure put on them to come back to the black power movement because they needed them over there, and they were promised that, you know, they would look at gender issues next, and that never manifested. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting. And there was um, something that happened. Not too, I'm trying to remember where it was. I think it was in Washington State. And there was a Black Lives Matter protest, and it literally was all white people. No black people were there. So I guess they forgot to invite the black people. And so it's just interesting, you know, and that's, you know, one of the reasons why we talk about co-opting, you know, these movements. And, 
you know, this happened because we decided enough was enough, you know, and that, you know, people couldn't just go around and continue to kill and marginalize and disenfranchise, you know, black people. And so, you know, we, you know, it's, it's interesting because one of the pushbacks that I saw was some white people, some allies getting upset because the Black Lives Matter organizers were telling them to get to the back and to allow the black people to speak. And many of them were upset because they wanted to speak about black pain. But, you know, I guess we're trying to figure out, you know, you want to speak about black pain, but with some of these same people, they go back to their jobs. You know, um, I posted an article talking about um, some of these liberal magazines that always talks about diversity and racial, you know, inequity and all of that, and yet they have no black people on staff, or maybe they have one. And then the rest of the other several hundred are white. So, you know, again, you know, it's it's just interesting, and I just pulled up the information about the young um, Ferguson activist that interrupted the um, Al Sharpton's D.C. event. The young lady, her name was Johnetta Elsey. And they allowed her to speak, but yeah, they interrupted the rally and they took the stage. And the National Action Network, which is Al Sharpton's movement, you know, they were trying to, you know, get them off stage. But you know, the people in the crowd were saying, "Let them speak." So they allowed, you know, Janetta Elsie, you know, to speak. And it's just interesting because, you know, she told the press. This is what she said to the press: "I thought there was going to be action." not a show. This is a show. Even the young people know that, you know, it's, it's, it's like a dog and pony show with some of these, you know, older, you know, civil rights vanguard leaders. And especially with, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, you all can't tell. I'm not real pleased with certain people. So, um, you know, we can't, we cannot allow, we cannot allow this to happen because the only thing that these old vanguard civil rights movement people have done, they fattened their own pockets and they push for reforms that benefit them and in their cronies. So it's just as important that we understand these things and we just not allow, you know, these things to happen. Um, so, Lena, is there anything you wanted to add to that? Um, no, not at this time. <laughs> you said not at this time, you know. And so um, it's just it's been real interesting. But, you know, again, you know, there's a lot of sexism out there. And black women in general, you know, have to deal with sexism. But, you know, what's happening with, you know, the Black Lives Matter we have to allow, you know, these young people, and because they understand intersectionality, you know, but in particular the three, you know, co-founders of Black Lives Matter. Again, these are three queer black women. And they, you know, they just they just came back from Palestine. And I posted that on my wall. I may repost it, but, you know, I would, you know, um, ask you guys to go and take a look at that. Um, as to see what was happening with that. And, you know, you have some people in the secular community, 
that, you know, have a problem with, you know, supporting Black Lives Matter for whatever reason, but I know some have issues. They want well, they to can support do Charlie Hebdo, though. I won't right. say, but they right. can, but they Charlie, but they Charlie Hebdo. You know, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. right. You know, you can't support Black Lives Matter, but you can, you can support Charlie, Mr. Charlie. Right? We understand. Right. But um, mm-hmm. you have some. Oh, funny! I, I like I like what she did just there. Ha 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 ha. Let's see if somebody caught it. But, um, you know, you have mm-hmm. some people in the community who are, you know, you know, gung-ho for Black Lives Matter, but they have a problem with the fact that some of these meetings and, you know, the strategy meetings are held in some churches. And, you know, the black atheists or, you know, atheists of color or secularists or humanists or whatever you call yourself, they don't want to meet in a church. And what they don't seem to understand is, even with the civil rights movement, that secular, it always has been and it always will be, a secular movement, you know, there was a time where that, those were the only places we can meet without being harassed by the police. And in some cases, that is still the matter, because um, in Ferguson in particular, some of the police went into some of these churches and started taking the supplies and the resources that had been sent to the churches to help the protesters, like, you know, the dry milk and all of those things to put in people's eyes to help them, you know, deal with the tear gas. And, you know, there were a number of incidents like this. But, you know, even though they're holding some of these strategy meetings at churches, it's, it's so what? I mean, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, We just have to look at these things, and we have to look beyond, you know, the the so-called aesthetics. I mean, I think that's faulty logic, that, you know, you're not going to support the movement because they're having some meetings in a church. That's happened all along. You know, I mean, you know, Hubert Henry Harrison had to meet with people at the church. They arrested, you know, but he was more of a free thinker. But, you know, still, it was still a secular movement, and it would continue to be. I mean, you know, one manifestation of that with Black Lives Matter is when they booed Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton off the stage. They have been rejecting these religious platitudes. And so this is what I'm saying to the secular community. You're missing an opportunity. You are missing an opportunity here, and and a lot of this comes from faulty logic. You know, you have people over here who feel that they have, you know, superior logic and superior intellect, but you're going to allow something such as they're having a meeting in a church to dissuade you? Really? And so, you know, I'm just sitting here and absolutely amazed at some of the excuses that I've heard you know, from different people, you know, in this community. But, again, like I said, you know, with a lot of black women, you know, we have to. We have to be visible leaders in this struggle because, again, you know, it all boils down to, you know, at the end of the day, that whether it's successful or if it fails, we're going to be blamed regardless. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's unfortunate about it. And, you know, when you start looking at, 
people from the past and these, you know, struggles and these movements, you hear about the men. You know, you hear about Malcolm X. You hear about MLK. You hear about Huey Newton. You know, and, you know, um, you know um, Car- Stokely Carmichael and, you know, Bayard Rustin and, you know, Fred Hampton and a number of, you know, of these people. But, you know, not too many people know about Ella Baker, Fannie Lou Hamer, you know, uh, Rosa Parks or, or Claudette Colvin. You know, you have Elaine Brown, Angela um, Davis, um, you know, Kathleen Cleaver, you know, Asada Shakur. I mean, it's, it's just interesting in how a lot of this history has been whitewashed. You know, they even have people believing that the um, Black Power Movement, the Black Panthers, were, you know, they have people thinking that they were bad people, that it was a terrorist group. No, it wasn't. And what you all need to understand is that the protests that we are having now in this country, they are now designating that as low-level domestic terrorism. And so, you guys, you you all better understand, and you better go and, you know, I do believe in, you know, the right to defend yourself, um, whether it's through, you know, having a weapon or whether it's through, you know, hand-to-hand combat or, you know, martial arts or what have you. These are things that you all need to know, and, you know, I would suggest that you go and go down range and learn how to defend yourself because I just really do believe that it probably will get to that point. Um, So, and I mean, it's just good to have that knowledge in general. But, um, you know, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about, you know, the sexism um, of the black power, the civil rights, and what we see manifesting now. And I know some people are like, well, weren't we supposed to be talking about black women? That Yeah, that's where the sexism comes in, but weren't we supposed to be talking about black lives matter? We've given you some examples, and the reason why I'm going back to the civil rights and the black power movement is because we want you to understand what happened then because, again, it's just a mirror image of what's happening now. And so, you know, this is just the best way to show you all, again, you know, you had people like, like I said, Al Sharpton trying to co-op and trying to control these millennials, and he hasn't been able to do it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious. So, you know, um, you know, Raina, did you want to say anything about the sexism um, in the civil rights or black power movement, or do you just want me to keep on and you'll just add? Just keep on. Just keep on. Okay. All right, so there's a video, and I'm going to post this on my wall, and it's from Barbara Smith, and she was talking about the sexism in the black power movement, and, you know, um, she has a twin sister named Beverly, so it's Beverly and Barbara Smith, and, you know, basically, you know, she said she was a natural activist. And when she was a young young girl, she noticed how things weren't fair, you know. So, you know, these were women who understood that, you know, black women were not necessarily given their just due. So not only do we have to deal with the racial injustice, we also have to deal with the patriarchy and the black male privilege even within our own community. And so, you know, what happened with Barbara Smith, she was one of the co-founders of the Kambahi River Collective. 
And, you know, what's interesting about the Black Lives Matter movement is they are building upon some of the principle and some of the points of the Kambahi River Collective. And so we were telling you all about this so that you can go back and you can study and you can read up and you understand what's happening now because it's being built on what happened then. Right, and the Kambahi River Collective was a group of black feminist lesbian women for the most part, and they um, they named themselves after the Kambahi River because that was where um, Harriet Tubman had led troops. Right. So. Exactly. Exactly. So that was, that, I just wanted to point that out in case you didn't know. Oh, no. People at Please, home, feel free. You know. Feel free to pop in here because, you know, we want them to understand, you know, because it's like, oh, they're doing this. Let me tell you why they're doing this and what this is built on because, like I said, this history is a weapon, and you need to understand this. And so basically, you know, with her leadership, and you see this happening now, that's what they were doing then. So they made um, um, what they were doing with their movement, they were calling attention to, you know, basically the ways that racism, classism, homophobia, and sexism interact or intersect with each other, you know, intersectionality. And so it's just, it's it's important that you all understand that because, you know, that was starting to manifest even more then, but now it's really manifesting itself because, you know, these young people are, you know, addressing these issues and are not allowing people to marginalize groups that are already marginalized. And so it's just, it's understand, you know, but you, I would, you know, implore you guys to go out and do some understanding and do some reading on sexual politics, gender politics, cultural politics. All you have to do is read Dr. Sakibo's two books. You know, that'll catch you up real quick, but hopefully it will stimulate you to go out and to do some additional um, some research. And so, um, you know, right here she made a statement, and she said, we understood that dealing with sexual politics didn't mean you weren't a race woman and that speaking out about homophobia didn't mean that you didn't want to end poverty. And so this goes back into some of these, you know, some of these arguments that you hear, and I hear them now, about, you know, um, you know, Black Lives Matter should focus on black men and race, or in particular they'll say race, and then they'll, you know, factor out the gender part, knowing that they're pushing black men issues to the front. And, you know, a lot of women are, you know, fighting back against that. But, um, you know, I want you guys to go and look up Kitchen Table, you know, Women of Color Press, and um, just look that information up. Look the information up. Understand, you know, how these movements are coming about and how they're being built. And and it's just it's interesting um, because when you go back to the Civil Rights Movement, and you go and you look some of the information up, you read some of some of the books, and you'll see that the leaders of the civil rights movement never really intended to end all forms of oppression in the U.S. And from my understanding of the Black Lives Matter is that they're trying to focus on a number of different issues and not just focus on one thing, and that's important, Which and this is why they have these little subgroups throughout the region so that people can focus on different things. 
And so, you know, it's, it's important for you all to understand because, you know, it is a rather complex system of isms and phobias, and, you know, they kind of work independently and, and sometimes in coordination with one another, but we need to understand these things. And all I forgot to make a point earlier um, when we were talking about how the anti-abortionists were trying to co-opt the Black Lives Matter movement, when you hear us talking about reproductive justice, I want you to know that that term, that terminology, that phrase there was brought to the forefront by people of color, by black women. And black women are starting to basically take back that particular um, um, that particular um, form or that particular um, movement, you know, the reproductive justice movement. You have more women of color out here talking about reproductive rights and, you know, talking about um, access to birth control, access to, you know, clean facilities and and the ability to have an abortion if that's what, you know, they need to do at that time. And we need to support that as well. And so, you know, what's interesting is, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, the civil rights movement, you know, serving as a model for other social justice and civil rights movements. And I know you all heard some of the arguments in which, you know, the LGBTQ community was saying that they were having their civil rights movement and basically they were building on and utilizing some of the same strategies and tactics that we used in our civil rights movement and why a lot of blacks took issue with that. And especially, you know, um, black LGBTQ members because they felt like they were being torn I know when the Supreme Court made their decisions on the um, um, Defense of Marriage Act, uh, marriage equality, as well as um, the Voting Rights Act, you know, many of us were torn because while we were happy about the marriage equality um, determination, well, some people or, were happy about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Some people, some um, people just, some people just question the institution of marriage anyway, and some people exactly. feel like the whole pursuit of the whole marriage issue is about um, reinforcing a particular ideology of um, of human of humanity that they don't really subscribe to. So this notion that one has one should be married in order to be respectable or aspire right. to white middle-class values in order to be respectable. It's something that some people object to. Exactly. Oh, no, you're right, you know, because marriage is a contract. And, mm-hmm. you know, and again, you know, with, with that institution being enacted and put in place and recognized as, quote-unquote, normal, if you will, you know, the normalization of these, you know, different groups, it's really centered in whiteness. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, there was so much pushback on this Black Lives Matter movement because you have white people coming in and attempting to dilute the the movement by saying all lives matter. And, you know, as Raina and I have stated before, if all lives mattered, we wouldn't have to say Black Lives Matter. Right. And so, you know, there wouldn't be a need for movement. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
Exactly. And so this is why you get pushed back. This is why you see so many of us, you know, you know, we're moved to anger at times. Because, um, again, even with, you know, these other decisions, we had a lot of people in particular in the secular community that were ecstatic, you know, about the marriage equality. And that's fine. That's all fine and good. You know, but yet they were eerily silent on the Voting Rights Act. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> and this is what gets me because we see this happening. And just like we have a lot of people that have been silent on Black Lives Matter, but everybody wants to be Charlie, right? So yep, Everybody's Charlie Hebdo. Right, mm-hmm. right. And for those of you who may not be informed, because, you know, Raina and I, we do a lot of reading, and we engage each other um, consistently about some of these issues. But for those that didn't know, um, the majority of the people that, you know, whose lives were senselessly taken, you know, I want to make sure that I send my condolences to their friends and family because, you know, they're hurting, and I understand that. And, you know, definitely my heart goes out to them. But one of the reasons why it took such a hold in the atheist community, and you saw all these people saying that they were Charlie this and blah, blah, so on and so forth, those cartoonists, the majority of them were white, male, libertarian atheists. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know that. So that's another reason them- why. Mm-hmm. And a lot of and and a lot of them espouse the very same Islamophobia that Charlie Hebdo routinely put on display. You know what I mean? Exactly. So. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the reason why you know when you hear us talking about Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, and Richard Dawkins, and 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 the Islamophobia. You know, um, you know, this is one of the reasons why we take offense to some of the cartoons that Charlie Hebdo put out there, especially the one about the um, prime minister in Italy and put her head on a monkey's body. That was not fun. That was not cute. That was racist. And, you know, yeah. And so, you know, it's interesting. And, you know, I have another theory as to why I don't believe you see a lot of support in, you know, the atheist community, and I'm talking about in general, I'm talking about even people of color, you know, in this atheist community, why we don't see a lot of them out there supporting Black Lives Matter or being very vocal about it is because they're still trying to sell, uh, you know, this farce, as I call it, that we live in a post-racial or colorblind Mm -hmm society, that race does not exist, and, you know, again, if we stop talking about it, it will go away. And it's horrible, absolutely horrible, but what's interesting is, is that, you know, some of the black atheists out there, you know, I don't know if they don't understand what racism is, or they don't understand it when it's in their face, or they've been a victim of it. Because there's too many of us out here that are trying to ignore these things and act like, well, that was just an innocent mistake. No, that was done on purpose. And so, you know, I'm just looking at all of this. Um, 
you know, in what's happening with the sexism across the board, you know, whether it was the black power, civil rights, the black, um, black, black lives matter. And even to a certain extent with this, you know, the secular community, you know, um, there's a lot of sexism and it does limit the role that women play, you know, in this society. And we should not allow others to devalue or minimize the impact that, you know, women activists have in all of these struggles. But, you know, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter, you know, it's very important. This is going to be, you know, a, a life-changing movement. And, again, to see these young people step up to the plate, I never, ever thought that I would see this. But we need for you to understand that they are relying heavily on women. And, and our labor and, and our money to make it to this goal, to achieve this goal. So you do not allow them to marginalize you. We will not allow them to take over what these, you know, young women have, you know, worked hard to put in place. Because, again, you know, the old civil rights vanguard, I mean, they've been doing nothing, you know, for the past 50 years, nothing. And now we have this momentum. And you want to jump in front like these RevCon people are trying to do? You want to jump in front for the photo op? We're not going to allow that to happen. So, you know, again, um, you guys, you need to understand the history. You need to understand the significance um, of this. And then also we need to start, you know, recognizing these women of the past and the women of the present. And we need to make sure their names are remembered and that we remember them as, you know, leaders and heroes and all of these things because when you think about those other movements, you think about the men, you don't think about the women. And the same thing is happening now. So, um, you know, um, you need to pay attention to this. You know, you need to pay attention to this and you need to, you know, start challenging these things um, as they happen. But, you know, it's, it's just, it's really interesting um, because we still have that antiquated thought process in this country about women being the weaker sex, and that's not true. There is no truth in that. And so, again, it's about recognizing, you know, our humanity, but not only our humanity as people of color, but also men have to recognize the humanity, you know, of women as well. Because there are too many men out here that feel like, you know, we should be of support to them, we should be subservient to them. And I'm not, you know, talking necessarily or specifically about those that are in a relationship or a marriage or whatever. A woman can be walking down the street and a young man can say something to her and she'll ignore him. And in some cases, he'll call her every name in a book. Or in some cases, they'll walk up and grab your hand and, and demand that you pay attention to them. So, you know, they still feel that they have some sort of authority over us. And so it's just it's, it's really interesting. Um, Marina, did you want to add anything? Um, no, that's fine. <laughs> oh, you said I covered it? <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, again, you know, women have been at the forefront. You know, um, a lot of people don't realize Daisy Lampkin, you know, he was the she was the one who 
recruited Thurgood Marshall, um, you know, to the NAACP Legal Defense Committee. You know, a lot of women have, you know, been in the forefront, you know, and I'm just saying some names out here. You know, Florence Kennedy, you know, she was, you know, in the forefront of feminism with, you know, Gloria Steinem and, you know, um, Jane Fonda and all of them. And then there was a little fallout when she decided to take on um, the Mumia case. And so, you know, you all need to know who these people are. You have Edith Sampson. You know, um, she was one of the, you know, first black lawyers in the country, and she became the first black woman to serve as assistant state's attorneys in Chicago, the Cook County, you know, in Cook County. So, you know, hey, read, read, go out, do some research. It's important that you understand who these women are, the roles that they played. You know, you have Amelia Boynton um, Robinson. You know, she was the first black woman to run for Congress from Alabama in 1964. You know, um, you know, and, and Martin Luther King used her home as his headquarters and office when he was in Selma. So here we go, tying everything back to Selma. You know, <laughs> Selma, a damn diner discount. And don't get me started on that again. Go ahead, Raina. No, I didn't have anything to say. I was just laughing because I figured you were going to bring that up. I was like, oh, goodness. But, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's important to know these women's names, you know, women like Daisy Bates. You know, um, Daisy Daisy was routine. uh, They routinely tried to um, put Daisy Bates in the background, but she wasn't having it, you know. Exactly. She... She planned those those marches. She she helped those those children out. Those were her kids, and she wasn't going to make let anybody come in and take over. You know exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And you know the thing is, is that you know um, even with the I mean with the Black Power movement, you had um, people like Terica Lewis, and it was her artwork that appeared in the first issues of the Black Panther. You know, they had a magazine, you know, um, the Young Lords, which was the Puerto Rican, you know, offshoot of the Black Panthers, you know, and that started here in Chicago um, with the Vice Lords, um, you know, so-called gang. I'll just call them a social organization. But, you know, um, you had the Black, you know, you had the Black Panthers, the Young Lords, um, you had, you know, the Asian Panthers, you know, what is Yellow Peril? Black Power, Black Power, Yellow Peril, you know, and you see a lot of people, a lot of Latinos, a lot of Asians, you know, even even indigenous people, Native Americans are out here marching now, and their stories. And I was going to say, I was going to say, I was reading, um, I was reading um, Nell Painter's book, and um, she talks about uh, sort of where that whole Yellow Peril thing came from. Um, so I recommend that you read that book, and that'll give you some context as to why they referred to themselves as Yellow, yellow Peril. Um, but it had to do tell with. Um, sorry. I said, tell them the name of the book again. Um, the um, history of white people. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So, um, but basically, it came from um, one of these um, intellectual racists. Um, that was concerned about the influx of Asian Americans into the United States and, you know, was trying to, um, 
you know, there was a time that, you know, even, you know, for Asian Americans, it was very difficult to get in here. You know what right. I mean? And um, it was, uh, you know, it, it, I mean, their, their, their situation was really bad, and they called them the yellow peril, and they felt like um, that Asian culture and, and, and values or whatever were going to um, undermine somehow um, the American way of life. So you can look that exactly. up, but... Yeah, I'll post some links on it. You know, I think I'll post some links to there tomorrow. But, you know, a lot of people don't understand was after the slaves, the black slaves in this country were emancipated, they started bringing in Asians to do slave work. Mm -hmm. You know, so we, (laughs) it's just, you know, we need for you guys to understand this. We need for you to understand even during World War II, um, they were, you know, uh, they basically were putting Asian people in, in little, you know, camps, you know, concentration camps throughout the United States because they weren't sure about, you know, their loyalty to the United States. And so it's a lot of history out here that, you know, isn't being told um, and, and people don't understand and don't know about. But, you know, we're just telling you little bits and pieces here and there. Um, I want you guys to look up this, and this is something totally off, but, uh, you know, after slavery, after the slaves were emancipated, you know, there were, you know, hordes of black people in certain respects, you know, kind of wandering around, and some of those people were put in different concentration camps, you know, throughout the United States. One particular one, I want you to look this up, and it's called the Devil's Punch Bowl. Again, the Devil's Punch Bowl, and when you look this up in Google, add wild peaches to it, and it should take you right to it. So the Devil's Punch Bowl, wild peaches. And so look that up and understand what was happening there and the different things. There's a lot of history that people do not know a lot of things that have happened, you know, I've talked about how during the civil rights, um, black power movement, how a lot of people of color, in particular black men, were being di- diagnosed as having schizophrenia because they wanted equal rights. And, you know, this stuff repeats itself. History repeats itself. And, you know, they're now calling protesters low-level domestic terrorists. I want you all to start putting these pieces of the puzzle together and understanding what happened then because it's the same playbook. Just like, you know, it's important. I'll mention a news story that just happened most recently. Eric Holder, um, when he said that, you know, he's abolishing, you know, these cities and states and local municipalities from being able to, you know, forfeit people's property, you know, whether it's land or whatever, that has been happening throughout history as well. If you go back, and especially we did a show on domestic terrorism, and you go back and you look at what happened at, you know, um, Wilmington and and, and and all of those, they were basically, you know, lynching black people, chasing them out of town. They were stealing their property, their land, you know, and even now to this day when, you know, they go back and they do some historical checks, if they find, you know, a deed that was once, you know, deeded to a black person and white people are on the land, they're still destroying that information, that evidence. That's still happening to this day. 
um, dismantling this system here, um, this is going to help a lot of people because there are a lot of people that are being set up. There are a lot of people being charged with crimes that they did not commit. But in the meantime, you know, everything that they worked hard for is being taken away from them. And I believe this is one of the main reasons why there's such a pushback with Eric Holder being in the position that he's in, even though we still have some issues with, you know, his ties to, you know, big banks and so on and so forth. But, um, and his and you know, his stance on the United States, um, the United States drone program and the uh, the kill lists and whatnot. So how to exactly. with him on those things? And you know, there's other exactly. issues as well. Of but, you know, yeah. <laughs> of course. And so yeah. you know, he has a, there, I mean, Eric Holder is a very fascinating person. He is a very very mixed kind of a record. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. it's not it's not like you can put him into one camp or another. You can't put him into the, you know, uh, pro-establishment, uh, anti-civil justice, you know, uh, category, right? Like, he's not a Clarence Thomas. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> but right. <laughs> you can't put him into the, you know, pro-righteous, you know, progressive, um, you know, side either. You know, he's he's very he's very odd. He's an odd fish. You know, <laughs> very odd fish. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you know, again, you know, women of color. You know, we you know historically incorporated gender into these movements. You know, around racial and economic. You know, um, parity or disparity, and so. You know, that's not going to stop. We cannot allow them to, you know, push people um, out the way and and to, you know, uh, you know, basically co-opt this movement, you know, away from women. So it's just important that we understand about gender equality and understand its place in history. So, um, again, um about about 20 years ago, like I said, women coined the term reproductive justice, and, you know, we're starting to take that conversation back. We're starting to take that narrative back, so on and so forth. So, you know, look it up, look it up, look it up, look it up. Um, there are a number of organizations out here um, that are working towards the betterment of our communities, and the majority of them are led by women. And we cannot and will not allow these men to co-opt us and to write us out of history, especially when we started it. We, you know, continue it and we fund it and we make it happen. We galvanize the troops and we're putting our lives and our family lives and our careers and all of these things on the line, you know, Mm -hmm. only to, you know, continue to be in a position in which, we are still seen as subservient or as property in some cases. We cannot allow that to happen. So, any closing words, Raina? Uh, no, I um, I don't have any closing words at this time. I think that we talked about a lot of very important things today. Um, you know, read up on these women. You know, speak their names. Don't let them be completely forgotten. You know what I mean? 
um, you know, too often their their voices are not are silenced um, in favor of these men. You know what I mean? These 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 strong, you know, black uh, figures that we uh, tend to remember, like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Um, and there's and there's reasons behind that. There there was a time, and there still is a time now. I mean, you know, think about how black people love the Cosby show, you know what I mean, for its values, you know, the strong sort of middle-class family with a, with a real patriarch. I mean, obviously Claire had some power in that situation, but ultimately the power in that family was held with the father, you know what I mean? And so, and, and so for that reason, black people in, in a lot of ways have tried to um, even structure their, their movements for freedom around these notions of, of power and, and power being masculine and, um, you know, relegating the roles of women to um, be in the background. And, um, right. and unfortunately, that means that we've lost a lot, of, a lot of our great thinkers. A lot of them have been silenced. A lot of them have, you know, weren't able to actually pick up a pen because they, they had to, you know, do the work. You know what I mean? They had to, you know, be in the field. And they could they they didn't have the time to contribute verses, you know what I mean? To contribute songs or to contribute, you know, speeches, you know what I mean? That history right. remembers or the history recorded. So, um, you know, it, it's really interesting. And if you read it, there's a book that I recommend, um, you know, people read in general. But I I specifically remember, um I specifically told my cousin. Um, who I almost treat like my niece um, that I wanted her to read. And it's a book um, by Alice Walker, who is a free thinker, by the way, um, to um, read. And that book is um, In Search of Our Mother's Gardens. And one of the things that Alice Walker points out in In Search of Our Mother's Gardens is that so much of the work of Black women is just surviving that we don't get to, um, we often don't get to be artists. You know, there's this, there's this notion, um, I think Virginia Woolf said that um, basically a writer needs a room of her own. You know, that, that what makes a person able to become an artist is having a room of one's own, a space of one's own. And so often, particularly for black women, that they don't have a space of their own. They have to carry the weight of their families, um, the way of the race in a lot of respects. Um, right. You know, in the, in terms of their behavior, in terms of the actual, you know, work that needs day-to-day work that needs to be done to keep people surviving. I mean, even after working all day in the fields, you know, black women would come home to their, to their slave quarters and, and still pick vegetables and and you know make food and care for the sick you know and all of these things had to be done even though they worked the same number of hours as the men in the field you know right. but these are the things that these are the things that history doesn't focus on because it's women's work and women's work in general is um deemed less worthy of 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 investigation less worthy of praise and so um when you see your grandmothers when you see your mothers, sometimes it's interesting to think of what what talents were wasted or, or weren't or weren't able to be cultivated 
because like, they weren't they they weren't able to explore that aspect of themselves because they had to keep a roof over your head or to um, keep clothes on your back or keep your belly full, you know? Um, So these are just things to think about. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we need to take, you know, a or have a more nuanced understanding of black women, you know, around us, but also the black women in history and, and, and to get a better understanding and to have these discussions you know, about these particular issues. But, yeah, no, Raina's right. You know, um, if you get a chance, sit down and talk to your great-grandma, your grandma, your mother, or what have you, and ask them about what their goals were in life when they were younger, what they wanted to achieve. And, and you know, even talk to them about some of the sexism, you know, because one thing I know is that with my mother, you know, and I saw this up front, personal, um, when she would go and give talks, at, you know, some churches, how some pastors, you know, especially the ones that didn't believe in having women in a pulpit, you know, I could tell from my mother's disposition um, which type of pastor was which because mm-hmm. it was like there were, there would be a certain type of nervousness or anxiety to her when she would speak in a pulpit of pastors that didn't believe in women preachers. And, you know, she had been taught all her life because, you know, her dad, my grandfather, was a preacher. And women had been taught that, you know, women were not supposed to have authority over men. And, and, And it's just, it was really interesting because I truly believe if my mother had not had that influence and had been, been taught that, then my mother probably would have had her own church and, you know, gone on to do a number of other things that um, she wanted to do, which is, you know, quite interesting because she just knew I was going to be the next Juanita Bynum, which is interesting. (laughs) Well, I was going to, yeah, I was just going to say, before you can go on with that, I was going to say, like, um, you know, going back to talking to your grandmothers and your great grandmothers or whatever, um, I think what you'll find though for in most cases is they're not gonna be able to articulate what their dreams were. And the reason right. that they're not gonna be able to articulate what their dreams were is because they they knew that their options were limited. You know what I mean? Right. And I know right. because I had these conversations with older women in my family. And, you know, um, my grandmother grew up at a time, you know, her mother was a laundress and, you know, did odd jobs and, you know, um, and and various types of domestic labor. And my my great-grandmother was determined that my my grandmother wouldn't do that kind of work, that she wouldn't work in the homes of of white people and and, and, um, in in all types of hours and, and not be able to be home with her daughter. I mean... My grandmother was a latchkey kid for a lot of her life because my my great grandmother had to work long hours to provide a roof and and clothes on her back and all of these things and they lived in a mostly white town um, so they were tolerated they didn't really deal with a whole lot of um, overt racism because there weren't really many blacks to you know to speak of to begin with. Um, but, you know, my grandmother, my grandmother, you know, she, 
um, you know, my, my great grandmother told my grandmother that she had two options. She could go to college and become a teacher or she could go to college and become a nurse. But those were the only two professions that were available to black women that were really considered respectable and really sort of um, could put you on sort of an upward trajectory. You know what I mean? In terms of social mobility, those were really the only two options at the time. And my grandmother got a scholarship and uh, nursing school it ended up being. So, um, you know, and I mean, it gave her some. It gave her some opportunities to do some things that she wanted to do, um, namely traveling and things like that. But you know, it wasn't. It wasn't because she wanted to be a nurse. You know, right. It wasn't right. because that's what she wanted to do. But she knew she didn't want to teach. <laughs> that was what she didn't want to do. <laughs> that's what she. She knew exactly what she didn't want to do. She, but she can't tell you necessarily what she would have been had she had more opportunities, you know. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's a shame. But, yeah, you're right. They may not be able to sit down and articulate exactly what they wanted or where they were trying to go. They just knew that they didn't want to be in dire straits, that they didn't want right. to do certain types of work. And, you know, right. uh, it's it's just you know the whole thing is interesting, and I just think it's important that you know we sit down and talk to them and record that history. You know they'll let you you know record that history. You know talking about their lives and you know what their dreams were, and um, it's just interesting. I mean the dynamics in my family it varies, but. Um, yeah. So anyway, my darling, I think we are done here. There's a number of things that we can go on and talk about, but next week is part four, and it will be primarily focused on Bill Hooks, We Real Cool, and Looking for Leroy by Mark Anthony New. So, All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, next Sunday is the 25th, right? Oh, yeah, it is the 25th. I don't know if we can do that show. We might have to do that later in the day. Or or, yeah. or, or maybe do it on Saturday. I mean, it's up to you. No, Saturday is the webcast. Remember? 24th, oh, the I webcast. Thought, I thought, oh, I thought the 25th was the webcast. Girl, oh, well. <laughs> the webcast is going to be on the 20th. No, the 25th, I have to do something. But we can do oh, okay. the show. Well, we can re we can reschedule. Yeah, yeah we'll we'll yeah. later on that date on the twenty fifth. I'll talk to you about that okay. a little bit later. And so okay. with that note, you all have heard us discuss our schedules here. Okay. <laughs> 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 all right, you guys, we'll put information about um the free thought blogs and again it's gonna be three o'clock. Not sure what coast, but it's gonna be three o'clock. Um We'll put that information up. Dr. Richard Carrier will be our moderator. Well, no, he won't be moderating. He'll be engineering. I think I'm going to be moderating the panel. And um, so that's next Saturday. And the 25th, we will be having a show, but it'll be later in the afternoon. And we'll determine that probably after this um, show today. 
So on that note, we thank Raina. We thank everybody who listened to the show live or the archives. Um, we appreciate you. And, again, you know, we when we do these shows, you know, we know we can't give a comprehensive overview, but we try to give, you know, tidbits here and there. And, you know, we just encourage you guys to go and, and look this information up and to do some research on your own. And, you know, oh, one thing that I definitely wanted to say before we move on, when I was talking about um, the Black Power Movement and I was talking about Ms. Lewis and how, you know, her photography, um, you know, uh, her artwork appeared in the first issues of the Black Panther, you know, the image, the popular image of the black male revolutionary and the popular image of the black female revolutionary, that was conceived by Terrica Lewis. So, you know, again, you just never know who's behind these things. We can't forget these people. We have to celebrate them. We can't throw our people away, namely our black women. So, you know, we want to encourage them to come on out, come out the woodwork, talent, um, the information. You have a voice, and we want to hear it. We want to hear it, and that's, you know, one of the reasons why we have this particular vehicle is that we do want to hear these different people. So on that note, we are out of here. We want you all to have a good rest of the Sunday, and See you all next Sunday, not 10 a.m., but, you know, probably more around 2 or something like that. So we'll determine that. All right, we'll Raina, thank you today. We appreciate you, Raina. Thank you. And thank you for letting me join you. So. There you go. All right. You guys, again, get out here, support Black Lives Matter, encourage these millennials you know, to get out here, be supportive of them, you know, in every way possible. It's time to give back. It's time to give back. It's time. It's time. It's time. All right, you guys, you take it easy and talk to you next week. You take it easy now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.